Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you ask me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara. Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Live and broadcasting around the world, you're listening to The O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing, I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff, so congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien with much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I'm so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Because I know you're, you're like a big Broncos family, you guys, growing up in Colorado Springs. So was it always for you, because you didn't initially want to, you know, pursue journalism right off the bat, or was it more of along the lines that you didn't know what you wanted right off the bat? Like, what was your experience, you know, going into school trying to do what you wanted to do? Well, I think uh, when I originally was in high school going into college for the first time, I really didn't even think of journalism as an industry. I didn't know any, I didn't know any better. I mean, I didn't have a lot of people um, before me that got into this industry. And so I kind of went the business route and I received a bachelor's um, in international business with a marketing emphasis and kind of just went the sales and hospitality route. And then I was just really bored. I worked in um, the beverage industry and the, the hospitality industry for about five years. And then I said, you know, if I could do anything, what would it be? And I was always been a sports fan. So I just said, you know, I kind of had an epiphany and said, if I could do anything, what would it be? And I went back to school and I took a second mortgage out of my house to go back to college and pay for it and, you know, got into journalism. And when I started, I didn't even know what a beat was. I had no idea like what the crime beat was or education beat or, you know, a beat writer or whatever. So I was very, very green and starting at the bottom, but I was also a lot older than most people. I didn't go back school to get my master's in journalism until I was 28. So um, completely switched gears and, and completely started over and always been a sports fan, knew I really wanted to do something that I was passionate about. It didn't feel like a job and, you know, got a master's in journalism and, and started at the bottom. Uh, worked, you know, there's 200 television markets and I worked my way up to, um, you know, I worked in the number one market in the country and the number two market in the country. But I started at number 142 so it's just you know it's a process and um you know 17 years later here we are i mean going back to school and like you said taking a mortgage out of your home in order to go back like that's got to be probably the biggest motivator that there is because you're you basically you're like all right i'm two feet in like i have to make the most out of this because at the same time i'm sacrificing a lot in order to get it yeah, you know, I think I, the biggest thing was I always bet on myself and I never, it was certainly a risk. I mean, I, I quit my job. I, I took a second mortgage out of my house. I went back to school. I knew nothing um, when I started was going to take to be a reporter, but I think I knew that it was something I was passionate about and I knew it was something that I cared about very much and I always bet on myself. So while it was certainly a risk, I, I honestly, I did it and kind of never looked back. So it was a, it was, it was well worth it considering, um, the career I've been fortunate enough to have. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely have to look back and say like, thank God I made the right decision. It all worked out at the end of the day. And you weren't at first like the biggest baseball fan, right? Because obviously growing up in Colorado, you didn't get the Rockies until what, like 93, 94. And then yeah. like a big football fan. How were you able to make that big adjustment? Cause I know you got the, uh, the gig with the Rockies, you know, during 
their run, you know, early on, late 2000s, 2007, they go on that massive run, go to the World Series. Were you, again, kind of like learning, like on the cusp of things, you know, like looking back at it now, like compared to your knowledge of the game now, as opposed to what it was back then, kind of just like, again, going on the cusp and, and trying to figure things out? I think, you know, in, in this industry, when you're starting out, you go where the jobs are. And I knew I had always wanted to get back to Colorado. I mean, being born and raised there. And as you mentioned, uh, a big Broncos fan, but no, we didn't have major league baseball until uh, we had pro ball, but we didn't have major league ball until 93. And I was a senior in high school. And, you know, so major league baseball was kind of foreign to us. I mean, obviously we were an expansion team along with the Tampa Bay at the time, the Devil Rays. And, um, you know, it was an opportunity to get back to Colorado and I knew very little, I knew the basics of baseball, but I knew very little about, you know, the intricacies of the game and the strategy and everything. And I remember I was in Madison, Wisconsin at the time I was at CBS there, uh, covering all, you know, everything Wisconsin related sports. And I, I had an out in my contract that said, if there was an opportunity in Denver, they had to let me go. And they did, and they were gracious and it was fine. And, um, but it was to cover baseball and I'm, you know, Aaron cook at the time was the Rockies ace and he's a sinker ball guy. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know what that is, but, um, you know, you just put yourself out there and I learned and I, and I asked questions and I studied and I learned and I watched games and, um, you know, now baseball's my favorite and there's not a single major league baseball game that I wouldn't watch or go to or whatever. And, you know, I've spent the majority of my television sports career in baseball. Whereas if you would have asked me that when I got into this, that probably I would have probably told you it was my least favorite as far as the five major sports are concerned. So or the four major, really, if you think about it. But um, yeah, it's you know, you never know. I mean, there's it's so hard to get into this industry. It's even harder to stay. And you kind of go where the jobs are. And in order for me to get back to Colorado at the time, it was going to be primarily a baseball job. And it turned out to be, you know, one of the greatest decisions I ever made because I can't imagine my life now without baseball in it. I mean, it kind of goes to show how much like you can actually plan, but at the end of the day, God's got his own plan. Like you wouldn't even have imagined, you know, like 15 years ago, like you would have been in the situation that you are now covering a sport that you not didn't necessarily like expect to, you know, want to cover and fall in love with. Who were some of the, uh, you know, the mentors early on when you were trying to figure things out, whether it was with the Rockies or even later on with the Dodgers? Yeah. You know, I think I get that question quite a bit about who in the industry kind of paved the way for me. And I think there's a lot of, you know, really great people that have done this, both men and women. I didn't have one person that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have that person's job. You know, it was the one person that I idolized, but there are people in this industry, certainly of, of both genders that I admire in terms of the work that they do. I mean, I think uh, Mike Tirico is phenomenal. I think John Saunders does an amazing job. Um, I, you know, I think with, in terms of females, uh, Michelle Tafoya is tremendous. Uh, she's, you know, in, unflappable. Um, you know, Linda Cohn has done it for decades and has done an amazing job in terms of, of this industry. Um, Susie Kolber, I, I look up to a lot. I mean, more people, you know, you know, people probably your age and, and younger um, look, you know, people like Laura Rutledge, who's doing so many different things with ESPN in terms of their SEC coverage and everything she's doing with the NFL. And, you know, I've known her for a really long time. And there's a lot of women in this industry I admire. Um, you know, Chris Budden, who's also on ESPN, Allison Williams on ESPN, Emily Jones, who's my counterpart with the Texas Rangers, Sophia Minnert with the Brewers, Jenny Kavnar with the Rockies, who actually took my job when I left the Rockies to go to MLB Network. Um, you know, we have a constant thread of about seven sideline reporters that are constantly going back and forth about just, you know, funny things or things in the industry or questions or, you know, things that they, that, you know, we've been approached with or approached by. And um, there's a lot of people in this industry that have done it the right way that I, I look up to and I admire as, as colleagues now versus somebody like, Oh, I wish I could have their job. It's more of like that person's my, my friend and my colleague. But I think the one person throughout my entire life that's been like the biggest role model or whatever is just my mom. I mean, my mom's always been somebody that has never pushed, but always supported. And, um, you know, she's obviously been the one that's known me the longest and, and the constant in my life. The one that knows you the best too. And yeah, you, I would think so. Yeah, you like rattle off like a plethora of different names. Or that again, that kind of goes to show like the networking aspect of the business too. Like everybody is, you know, so giving and 
networking is about giving at the end of the day. Like, I feel like a lot of kids, at least my age, are kind of still trying to figure that out. Um, how, how have you felt like early on when you're, you know, quote unquote, climbing the ladder in the business, trying to like find your niche, trying to find your spot, trying to accomplish your goals at the end of the day. How early on did you figure out that it is important to, again, like help others along the way, as opposed to just like worrying about yourself? Because I know at least kids, again, my age, still trying to kind of figure it out. But like, again, it's about those life experiences early on that kind of um, mold you into what your mentality is going forward. So how early on did you kind of figure that stuff out? I mean, I think that's either who you are or who you are. I think you're either a philanthropic person or you're not. I think you're either a person that's going to surround you yourself with people that you want to help or you're going to step all over people. I think I've always been that person that's wanted to lend a helping hand to others in the industry and and certainly uh, women in this industry too. And But I, you know, I want to help everybody, not just – I don't think I've been given anything because of my gender. I certainly don't think I've been um, – denied anything because of my gender either. I think the biggest thing is, is work ethic and initiative more than, than anything, uh, especially in baseball. If you don't know what the heck you're talking about, you will be exposed in baseball. I mean, in a sport that's 162 games a year on a daily basis. So um, I think it's incredibly important to help people around you. And there's, there's room for all of us. And there's room for, um, especially with all the different mediums now in terms of, you know, all the Zooms and podcasts and social media and this, that, and the other thing, and all the digital platforms, there's, there's a lot more available today than when I was getting ready to try to get into the industry. I mean, I must have sent out a hundred VHS tapes. I don't even know if you know what the heck a VHS tape is, but I must've sent out a hundred of those things before I got my first job. You know, it took me five months to get my first on-air job. And that was the one in Wichita Falls, Texas, which was market 142. So um, it's a process. And I think the more people you can help along the way and the more cheerleaders you have and the more people you can cheer for, um, the better it is. You don't, you don't get anywhere by smashing other people down. Wow. I mean, that is, I mean, you explained that perfectly there. And like, just to speak like hypothetically, because you could talk about, you know, the different aspects of social media today. Like we're on a Zoom call right now. You know, everybody's got their own podcast. Everybody's got their own content. Everybody's trying to be a content creator, whether it's, you know, college kids, athletes, musicians, whatever. Do you think that your approach to wanting to pursue journalism would have been different? Because, again, you talk about, you know, going back to school because you wanted to pursue journalism. You take a mortgage out of your home in order to do it. You're sacrificing a lot. If you had the technology that we have today back then, would you have gone back to school or would would you have just kind of like tried to pick people's brains about certain things and then start your own stuff as opposed to, again, like going out of your way, spending a lot of money and then, you know, trying to go a different route. Cause I'm just curious about that. Cause again, a lot of kids don't necessarily have the degrees today, but they're finding ways to make it done just cause they have a passion for it. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, I, I think, For me, I I love school. I've always been a nerd. I've always loved um, education. I could go and get another, you know, I have a master's. I could go on forever and get a billion degrees. Um, But I I don't, yeah, I mean, that wasn't even an option. Like there was, like, I didn't even, there was no podcast when I went back to, you know, when I was in college, I've been out of college now for, oh brother, I graduated with my master's in 2003. So what year is this? 21. I've been out of college 18 years already. I mean, it's, so it's very, um, it's, it is, it's a very different world. That being said, I think there's something to be said about the formal education of, of journalism and, you know, kind of the right way to go about, um, correspondence and writing. I mean, you know, television is very different than print obviously, but, um, in my opinion, you know, I tell people this all the time, you certainly don't need a master's degree. The only reason I have one is because I already had a bachelor's in something completely different. So um, there's no right way to go about this business. The, the, the one common denominator that I think people that are successful that have achieved a certain level in this industry is work ethic. Work ethic, initiative, drive, sacrifice, being willing to make sacrifices. I mean, everybody wants to start on air in Los Angeles. It doesn't work that way. Like you have to, you have to pay your dues. You know, it took me a long time to get to LA and I was there for seven years and I chose to leave because of personal reasons. But 
it takes a long time, you know, and, and everybody wants to have the Dodgers job. Everyone wants to have the Yankees job or wants to be Monday night football sideline or whatever. It's a process and nobody has the same path, but we all who have achieved that level have all worked our tails off to get there. Whatever the path was, we all had that same drive and, and willingness to sacrifice. I mean, you can't teach passion at the end of the day. And again, I, I grew up Northern New Jersey, big Yankee fan. A ton of my friends are like, I want to be the broadcaster for the New York Yankees. Like, dude, that's not pro- that's probably not going to happen. You know, like you have to have the idea of like, okay, I want to be a sportscaster. How am I going to get there? Because like, if you limit to yourself to that one thing, whether you want to be the broadcaster of the Yankees, whether you want to take over for Vin Scully with the Dodgers, like, you're not going to be very happy at the end of the day with what happens. Like, I feel like you're going to be a very miserable person, but like in your personal experience, I feel like you didn't have to really go through that because again, you were, you decided that you wanted to pursue journalism, but I feel like, you know, working for the Rockies was probably like your number one thing being in Colorado, being born and raised in Colorado. But then you find the gig with the Dodgers that you really wouldn't have expected to again, like change your life over the past seven years. And it all culminated in some probably your best work. Well, I do think I, I certainly didn't go into journalism wanting to do baseball. Right. Uh, I think you go where the opportunities are. And if you sit and talk to Meredith Morakovitz, who is my counterpart for the Yankees, who's a friend of mine, I mean, she'll tell you the exact same thing. Maybe she grew up and said, I want to be the Yankee sideline reporter. I doubt it. Right. Um, but she's qualified and she earned her way to get that job. And um, it's, it's, a, it's just an, it's an interesting, interesting in- industry. You know, and I kind of say, just like when you're in the minor leagues and you get called up to the show, it's one thing to get called up. It's another thing to stay there. I mean, if you can have longevity in this business, um, that, that's something t- to be proud of. And no, I mean, I, I, you go, I never would have thought that I was going to go from, you know, Colorado to Wichita Falls, Texas, to Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, back to Denver, Colorado. I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily go back to Denver because I wanted to cover baseball. I went back to Denver because I wanted to go home mm-hmm. and baseball just ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. But had I been like, Oh my God, I don't want to cover baseball. You know, I really would have shut the door to a lot of other opportunities. And then, you know, I went from Denver to New York to MLB network and Secaucus. And then when the Dodgers launched their new network, I came back to, you know, I came back to the a team level and, and started that network in 2014. So if you try to predict your path, it's like, we always say with, you know, the base, you know, the baseball gods, it's like that, if you want to see the baseball gods laugh at you, try to plan a dinner after, you know, on a day game, because inevitably you'll go into extra innings or you'll have a rain delay or whatever. So you can't really plan. I mean, yes, you can have goals. You can certainly have a goal, but if you have like, I'm going to be this, you're kind of shutting yourself out to other opportunities that you didn't even probably realize that existed or that you wanted. Right. I mean, you need the foundation at the end of the day. Like the foundation is going to get you to, again, that passion, that drive in order to go out and try and do something, but not necessarily do the specific thing that you have in mind. Again, you kind of have to like expand your horizons in that sense. And you talked about, you know, jumping all over the place, whether it was with the Rockies, going to MLB Network for those two years, going to the Dodgers, like in in a cold way, like everybody in life is replaceable, especially in, in, in the business world. What are like some specific like experiences that you had that you knew like, okay, it was really hard getting here, but now that you got there, you're like, oh my God, it's even harder trying to keep this gig. Cause again, everybody at the end of the day can be replaced. Well, I mean, they hired somebody to replace me a week after I left. So yeah. it goes to show you that everybody is replaceable. I mean, there's people that will let, you know, live in your heart and in your mind for a really long time, but it's a business. And, you know, as much as I appreciated my time with the Dodgers and they appreciated me being there, like you got to move on. So, um, everybody is certainly replaceable, but I, I don't think I noticed, and I still, I'm not retiring. So I'm still, you know, I'm still going to be doing this. I'm just trying to figure out what the next step is. But for me, and I think baseball, and you can ask Clayton Kershaw this too. You never, like, I never thought about all I had accomplished while I was doing it. Like there's going to come a time in my life where I can take a step back and look back at what I've done and be like, wow, you know, that was really special. Like sometimes at the end of the seasons, I'll I'll look back at like photos or whatever and think about, geez, you know, we really did a lot this year. Um, But when you're in the middle of it, I don't, I don't think you notice it as, at least I don't. And and Kirsch is the same way. We've had this conversation at length where he's like, maybe when I'm retired, I'll I'll take a step back and, and realize all that I've done. And obviously he's, 
a first ballot hall of famer. So he's had an amazing career already and he's not done. So, um, I'll get there someday where I'm like, wow, you know, that's like, there's a lot of really cool stuff I've been able to do, but I'm fortunate. I've been in this industry for 16 years and 17 years. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm not done. I don't want to be done. We'll see. I mean, what what was it? Seven, eight year run with the Dodgers. I mean, that's still, well, I mean, yeah, seven years and, you know, seven straight trips to the postseason, three world series, one championship should have been two, but one championship, um, traveled to Australia, traveled to Mexico with the team, interview Hall of Famers on a daily basis, um, you know, worked with Vince Foley and Jaime Harin, two Hall of Famers. You know, I, I put our broadcast team when I was there up against anybody, any national team. I and mean, we have an amazing production team. We have an amazing on-air team. Um, very fortunate. It's one of the best organizations, and I have nothing but, you know, praise um, for my seven years there. It was it was a lot of fun. A very difficult decision to leave. I did not take it lightly. Um I still question it, but um, it was the right thing to do for my personal life. So what is that? Because I know you obviously have, um, you know, your Didri's Guardian Foundation as well that you you started a few years back and, you know, doing that side by side. Because I know, especially in Los Angeles, living in Los Angeles, a lot of stray animals, to say the least, is just, you know, not to single out dogs, which is very sad to think about because, I know I'm a huge dog person and I just, I don't like thinking about that stuff, but you know, you doing that. Um, and then of course doing the Dodgers gig, like what was it ultimately for you at the end of the day that made you step away or made you want to step away? Yeah, I think, you know, I am engaged and my fiance lives on the East coast and he has two young kids and, and they're here and he needs to be here with them as he should be. And I think, you know, we did the long distance thing for four years and you know, he's um, his work schedule is changed and he's here now all the time. So it was very difficult to me. I mean, being a baseball writer and a baseball reporter um, is an absolute beating. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a 200 game season between spring training, living in Arizona for six weeks when we were allowed to um, 162 game regular season and then postseason. and the Dodgers fortunately go deep into October. So it's about 200 games a year that I cover. And, and to do that in LA, when we're not traveling and I have no opportunities really to even meet in the middle. Um, it's just, there was a lot. And we just decided it was time that, you know, um, coming off on top with the championship and with him not traveling anymore and needing to be with the kids that it was time for me to try to do something on, on the same coast. So, uh, that's the only reason, you know, I, I loved my job and, um, it's as simple as that. I had at, at a certain point, you know, your priorities change. You're young. I'm not. So it's like your priorities change in time. And now my life needs some sort of balance. I can't just be all professional because I have this other part of my life that's just as important. As far as Gidry's is concerned, I mean, I have a massive, massive, massive passion for animal advocacy and animal welfare. And, you know, Gidry's guardian is named after my dog, Gidry, who I adopted in 2009, who was named after Ron Gidry of the New York Yankees. You would know that because you're a Yankee fan. Um, and it's just been something that I've poured my heart and soul in. And in and, and California, big cities in particular, California, Boston, Chicago, New York, Dallas, uh, there's a massive, massive, massive problem of stray animals on the streets and in high kill shelters that get killed on a, you know, on a daily basis just because there's no room. So it, that's something that, again, provides some sort of balance for me. And I feel like if I could, you know, if I could have left L.A. better than I found it, it was worth it. And, uh, you know, I want to continue to, I will always support Southern California rescues. Um, and I hope to be able to expand that, you know, nationwide eventually, but you need balance in your life. If not, you'll go crazy. I mean, that's again, the most important thing I feel like, and you taking, you know, stepping away from that gig to move to the East coast. Cause again, that's probably very, very difficult being on separate sides of the country, you know, Boston being up North. And of course you have LA, Southern California, all the way on the other side, on the bottom side. I mean, that's got to be definitely one of the toughest things doing, especially during a 162 game season, even last year, because again, last year, you're probably isolated in a lot of ways, doing everything remotely. How, how was that experience doing everything, you know, like not being able to interact with people like, again, like face to face on the field, at least for the most part, or at least throughout the early stages and doing everything like this, like remotely via Zoom. 
Yeah, it was awkward. I mean, it was uh, one thing I pride myself on is, is really having good relationships with the players in terms of being able to really kind of get a sense of how, how they are. I mean, I, I know them, I know exactly when Justin Turner fills out his crossword puzzle. I know, like, I know based on body language, how guys are, are feeling and doing and where they're at in their workout routine and when I can approach and when I can't and just if they're having a bad day. And that whole thing went away uh, with COVID. And having to do every interview like this, I mean, we win the World Series for the first time in 32 years. And I, it took me an hour to get a player on an interview because of this, because this is, you know, this is the, the dynamic and, and the structure that we have now. And it was just really strange to not be, I mean, I traveled with them for seven, six years to be, you know, to not be with them um, everywhere was was odd. And, and I, you know, I think one of my strengths is, you know, the long form sit down interview pieces and, and the features and those types of things, and just really getting to know the player. And, you know, um, we, that got taken away and, and that got taken away and the fans being not in the stands got taken away. And it was just such a weird year. I think it was harder to win the world series this year than any other year. I mean, honestly, like the stuff we all had to go through, particularly the players that they had to go through to even have a season was insane. So, um, I miss that. I miss, I miss the guys. I mean, like today I would be at spring training and if we were allowed, we would be, you know, they'd be walking in for the first time when pitchers and catchers report and I would be talking to them and we'd be shooting it. And then I remember there's nothing better than hearing the cleats on the concrete for the first time of spring when they come out of their morning meetings and they hit the, the pavement and they're walking out to their respective fields. That sound there's nothing better. And we didn't, you know, we don't get that this year. And it's just, it's just a weird deal. So that was part of the reason too, that I was like, you know what, if this year is going to be the same way, like there's never going to be a good time to walk away, but you know, I guess now, now is as good a time as any. Oh yeah. Like this year, especially like, do you know what the, like, have you talked to some of uh, your friends in the industry when it comes to reporting this year, especially because today pitchers and catchers report, like, is it the same deal? You're not allowed to be there or everything's kind of story. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in tier two again, my girls, they're in tier two again. And um, for example, pitchers and catchers actually reported five days ago, most of them, because they had to quarantine. So while pitchers and catchers are physically reporting today in terms of camp, they've, most of them have already been in Arizona or Florida respectively because they had to quarantine to get ready to get back together again. So, um, and it's the same thing for reporters. We're not in tier one. So there's no clubhouse access. There's no player access. You can't go out and just stand on the warning track and watch them do anything, uh, you know, PFPs or whatever. So it's, it's, it's all like this again, it's, it's zoom. And, um, you know, or standing six feet away from them and screaming a question. It's just, it's just a different, different scenario. And it's like Sophia Minert with the Brewers, you know, she got there, um, they, um, spring train in Maryville, Arizona, and, you know, she had to quarantine and it's, it's just, a, it's just a weird deal. And I get it. It's like, it's a small price to pay, obviously safety and health are the most important thing, but so much of what we do on a daily basis as a baseball reporter is the day-to-day -day interaction with players. And you just don't have that anymore. So do you definitely feel like it's a handicap situation as opposed to efficient? Because I feel like, again, this is already a year into this whole pandemic, which is crazy. But, you know, like 10 months ago, I had no idea how to use Zoom. Now everybody is so efficient in using all this different types of technology to, again, remotely connect with people. I feel like as we went along, as we evolved with all of this, people kind of realized how efficient it is, you know, picking up interviews. You don't have to be at the ballpark in order to just hop on a Zoom call with someone and get a quick five minutes to talk about something that you want to use for the game. Do you feel like this is going to be definitely like a factor that gets played into a quote unquote new normal going into, you know, whether it's halfway through this year, 2022, 2023, when things do get back to normal and things, you know, like fans are allowed back in the ballparks and you're allowed to actually interact with people, uh, you know, in the press room, in the clubhouse, in the dugout, stuff like that. I hope that leagues and teams do not use this as an excuse. Yeah. I hope that we can get back to where we were. Um, I really hope that eventually I know fans will all be allowed back because that's just a revenue profit thing. So that's going to happen. Um, once it's safe for fans to be at full capacity, that will definitely happen. 
As far as media access is concerned, again, I don't know. I, I you know, I'd, you'd be hard pressed to find any player that's going to say, "Oh, I can't wait for the media to be back in the clubhouse." Um, you know, that's their space. They're not real big on it. They don't have to do interviews. It's not in the collective bargaining agreement to say, "Hey, you have to talk to Alana." They do it because they know I have a job to do, but it's not their favorite thing in the world to talk to the media. Um, and I'm, you know. I'm different than the regular media just because I was a team reporter, but I hope that in time we do get back to some sort of normalcy with the way that it was before, because you're missing out on a lot of really, really good stories um, when you don't have that type of access. And uh, I, I just hope that now that people see that like the world can still carry on through zoom, I hope that it doesn't all stay on Zoom because the only thing I wish is that I would have bought Zoom stock. That's the only thing I wish, you know, I would have known prior to all of this because I would be, we'd all be really, really loaded. Oh, um, everybody would have been. I'm <laughs> a lot of people didn't just jump on that right off the bat. Like as soon as all of this, as soon as everything was getting shut down, like that should have been my number one thought. Like looking back, yeah. bring up a great point. Like, I don't know why. But yeah. 90% of having a conversation with someone is like reading body language. And like, I guess you can get that over Zoom. Like if you're really paying attention but at the same time, it's not the same. You know, no, I, mean, I knew guys, I could tell how they were feeling based on like the direction that their feet would go. I mean, I, I, I could tell a guy, I could tell who was coming out of the dugout based on their shoes and the way that they walked. Like I just, I was that in tune. I mean, I was with them every single day, you know, so um, and even my photographer would, if, if my foot would turn a certain way, I didn't even have to say anything. He knew I was ready to go and, you know, do certain things. So there is such a, a disconnect without having that personal interaction on a daily basis because you don't have the same sort of feel. You only get, you know, I get three or four minutes with the, with the guy now on, on a computer before other people have to start asking questions. Like you can't just have a normal sit down conversation. I mean, I wouldn't sit in the clubhouse cause there's unwritten rules, but you know what I mean? Like you can't have a normal conversation with a player just as a, just as a person, let alone a player and a reporter just as a person. So very, very different. I mean, I'm thankful we had something, <laughs> but I hope that it goes back to a time when, you know, you can have a lot more interaction with people. Yeah, I mean, it must be tough over Zoom because did you guys have like set times that you're like, all right, you only get four or five minutes here? Because like, I feel like you being a team reporter in a normal situation, like you obviously have a better relationship with the players than, you know, regular media coming in and out all the time. Yeah, normally we would go and there's a certain amount of time you can be in the clubhouse and you'd go in and it would be, you know, 45 minutes to an hour and you would just go in there and, and talk to guys. And, you know, I was never the type of person, though, if I didn't have something to do, I, I was not in there. That is their space. I don't want to be in their space. I would go in, I'd get my job done and I would get out. I don't hang out. I don't loiter because um, I don't want anybody in my space. You know, if I'm working, I don't want someone just standing there staring at me. Um, so... Yes, there was there much more of an opportunity to talk to guys. With Zoom, you're kind of at the mercy of whenever they show up because you can't go up to them anymore. You're, you're at the mercy of when they actually get up, come to the room, sit down, get on the computer. You know, PR has to get it set up. Um, yeah, it's just, it's all, it's all very different now. And it stinks being like the World Series season, like you said, first time in like 33 years. Like that's, this is the situation that you guys had to work with during arguably their most memorable season as a unit for, because again, you what went to three world series in the last four years reporting this team. So like, that's definitely got to be bittersweet in a sense, but you actually got, you got to go to Arlington for the world series though, right? I did. I was in, I was in Arlington for three weeks because they had, they played all the games there in Arlington. So I was, I lived there for three weeks. So, it, you know, that was fine. But again, I wasn't on the field. I was, I was in a suite the entire time. So I could have been on the moon doing the same thing I did in Arlington. Um, cause I was in Texas, but you'd never know it other than I, you could see the stadium behind me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I still have yet to see the world series trophy. I haven't seen it. Um, I mean, I have before, but I haven't seen the one in 2020. Right. Um, you know, so everyone got their picture with it. Normally I'd be on the plane with them. Normally I'd be on the field with them. You know, it, it, you know, that emotion and that, that raw energy, that's what we would have experienced on Sportsnet LA with these guys, like I've done for the last six years in the clubhouse with the champagne and the, you know, that's what we missed out on. Um, because we didn't, we didn't get to do that this year. So 
you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm glad that we were, again, I'm, I'm thankful we were able to have a season at all. It was just, I feel like, I feel like we were robbed, you know, uh, of, of the joy of the culmination of what an insane year it was. Is that some of the more, you know, memorable moments? Like you talk about winning pennants, winning divisions, you know, with the Dodgers, you guys were always in the playoffs. Probably you won the division more so often almost every year you were there, you know, like, are those the, the moments that stick out to you over the past seven years? You know, the, the, the victories, yeah. the champagne, all of that. I think just what sticks out the most is the opportunity to just see these guys grow up. Yeah. You know, I, I knew Corey and, and Jock and, and Cody <laughs> before they got drafted, yeah. you know, um, just seeing them become men and dads and husbands and, you know, husbands, dads, sometimes different order. Um, that's a cool thing to, to see these guys grow up, um, to see Clayton throw a no hitter and just kind of step out of the frame and let his wife enjoy it with him on the field. Um, to see Clayton finally win a world series, <laughs> you know, after, uh, after the postseason narrative, um, and Kenley, everything he went through with his heart issue and the selflessness of just going into the bullpen and not being the closer or pitching in the ninth, but being willing to pitch in the sixth Turner, uh, Justin Turner and I had basically started with the Dodgers on the same day. Uh, you know, in 2014, he was a non-roster invite. Um, it was my first year with the team full time. I was in the parking lot when he found out he made the team. Um, you know, and just witnessing that moment. And he's the face of the franchise. I can't imagine Justin Turner in any other uniform. Um, that type of stuff is really special. Obviously, the day-to-day -day is, is cool, um, but that's what you're expected to, to see. What you don't, what you take for granted sometimes are the emotional things that come along the way. And seeing guys really come into their own. Max Muncie didn't have a job. Um, you know, back-to-back 30-plus -back home run seasons. Chris Taylor's a totally different guy here than he was in Seattle. You know, I'll miss Kike. I mean, Kike and I had some epic interviews because he's a clown, um, but he's a good dude. And I love Kike. I love his family. I love it. You know, he, he became a dad. You know, so to see this, these guys, like, it's your family. I mean, I'm with the, I was with them more than I was with my own family. And um, so there's a lot of amazing, I mean, I, this, this is totally random. I did not plan this. I just happened to have to move into the office and like, this is on my desk. But like this type of stuff, you know, like, I yeah. mean, I got to, I have to frame it. That's why it's on here. But, you know, it's like to be able to work with Vin is amazing. And I mean, Irene and, you know, it's been cool. It's been, it was a really, really fun, again, I'm not retiring. Like I don't, I, I want to stay in the game, but I, I was fortunate, very fortunate enough to be able to do some really, really fun things. I mean, that's crazy that you get to see, you know, like you said, these young boys at the time, like before they get drafted, you talk about the Cody's and, and the Jack Peterson's of the world kind of, you know, morphing, evolving into young men, into fathers, like you said, like that's probably the next, you know, phase of my life that I'm really looking forward to seeing kids that, you know, I grew up with and kids that I've built relationships with kind of, you know, form into young adults and see how they mature over time, you know, like, and, and you like being in a, in a, like a class A organization with the Los Angeles Dodgers, like you said, getting to work with people who have been working for that industry for 35, 40, 50 years with Vince Scully. I mean, greatest broadcaster who ever lived, you know, like the inspiration for a ton of sportscasters around the world wanting to get into this industry is because of Vince Scully and how he's able to, you know, insert that aspect of storytelling into every broadcast, you know, like in those early years, like getting to pick his brain had to be like one of the most amazing opportunities ever because he's probably got just like a yeah, he's an amazing man and he's just as amazing as a human being as you would think he is i mean he's just a very very kind kind humble man and um you know i worked with vin for two years and you know he was obviously towards the end of his career he, he did it for 67 seasons so he wasn't traveling as much when i got there as he you know did in the past but He's a sweetheart and he's, you know, he's Vin Scully and nobody will ever do it better. And the one thing I, you know, commend Joe Davis on is he didn't try to be Vin. And that's the, that's the dumbest thing he could have done was to try to be Vin. And, and, and Joe is incredibly talented and he's going to be on our screens for decades to come. And, uh, you know, he obviously respects what Vin did, but he also has his own stamp and his own way. And, um, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been really a, a cool, a cool time. And I cherish, you know, 
I cherish a lot of what I did. And, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, my good friend, a good friend to all of us, really, Pedro Gomez passing away unexpectedly on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, that just, I guarantee, I think about him a lot. And I say, you know, that's why, that's why I left because nobody wishes they would have worked more when they're on their deathbed. And that's why I needed to, to make the move to, to just change gears and work someplace else. Um, because I just couldn't do it anymore, but it's been, it's been incredible. And, uh, you know, I highly encourage people to, to follow your passion because that's what this was for me. Sports was my passion. It started out as football. It's become baseball, even though I'm still, you know, Broncos fanatic, but, um, if you follow your passion, whatever the path is to get there, it will never feel like a job. Right. I mean, just to like allude to what you said about, you know, Pedro Gomez, like well-respected guy, you obviously knew him personally. Like those are kind of like the eye-opening things. Like we saw it with, at least just in the public eye, we saw it with Kobe Bryant last January. Like you, you see some of these big public figure deaths and it kind of like makes you like take a step back and be like, okay, my eyes are open now. Like I, you, you never really know when your last day is going to be your last breath, you know, not to sound corny in any way like that, but like you really have to take a step back and, you know, discover what's most important for you at that time. And, and you're doing that right now, making the move to Massachusetts, you know, like during, you know, again, over the past seven years or so with the Dodgers, 162 game season, it's a grind. Like you're, you love what you do, but at the same time, it's still really hard doing that on a daily basis. Like you're off days, you're traveling, uh, when you're working, it, it's nonstop. You're, you're insanely busy. What, what are some of the things, cause I know you have the foundation, you know, you, you, what are some of the things that you do when you're again, like traveling with the team at the ballpark to, you know, kind of step away from the game and step away from work. What are some of like the hobbies that you do, whether it's like with the broadcast team or kind of on your own? I mean, I'll tell you, it's a, it's tough during the year. I mean, I, I, your social life is non-existent. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a grind for sure. And, uh, the thing that, you know, we, we, if we happen to have a day game, where we had a chance to go out to dinner, we would go as a team. Um, you know, it'd be me, Joe, Oral, our producer, Mike Levy, um, would usually be the four for sure that would go. And then, you know, sometimes other folks would join us. Um, we love, we love good food and we love good wine, all of us. So that was, a, that was a big thing for us. Um, you know, Oral, Nomar, myself, we're all wine snobs. So, uh, they have a bigger budget than I do, but, um, we had a great time doing that. So eating out, having good wine. Um, you know, I would try to work out in the morning if I can. Um, but you know, you don't get back to the hotel until 1230, one o'clock and you know, you're back at the ballpark at 12, one o'clock. So you don't have a ton of time, but, um, I, I wasn't great with balance. I wasn't great with, uh, you know, getting away. Um, but I did start the foundation and that, you know, kind of really took a lot of my time, and then last year with COVID, we didn't travel. So it was actually the first summer I got to spend in California, which was really nice, um, you know, full time. So I've never loved living anywhere more than I loved living in Manhattan Beach. And I've never loved, you know, working anywhere more than I loved working with the Dodgers and living in California. So, um, yeah, it's just a new chapter. I mean, definitely a, a nice chapter to look back on. And like when you're again, traveling all over the place, like when you really like take a step back and look at it, like there's so many cool opportunities to try so many different things. Like you said, like all of you guys, you know, like big foodies, big wine people in your own right. I know Joe even has like his own steak channel that he was doing during quarantine um, at his house. Like he's a big foodie. Like you got to look at stuff like that. Like when you're traveling all over the place, getting in, getting to interact with all of these different people when you have a chance and, you know, getting to experience things that you haven't necessarily experienced before in different cities, different towns, different cultures. It's gotta be pretty cool. Yeah. No, I mean, we've traveled the world. We've traveled yeah. the country together um, and we travel first class. Listen, I'm not, I'm not discounting um, how lucky we are and how fortunate we are. Um, but we also, all of those things that you mentioned and, you know, doing all this stuff that we were able to do, none of it's with their own families. You know what I mean? So you do, you do take their sacrifice in it. Um, you know, obviously the second to last year when we were traveling, families weren't traveling much uh, even before COVID. Uh, and I never had, like my fiance never traveled with me. So, you know, while we love you, I mean, we love, I love Joe. I love Oral. We love each other. Like they're my brothers, like Jerry and John Hartung and Ned Coletti. And I'm actually doing Ned's class here in about 10 minutes. But, um, 
you know, we love each other, but you're still taking away time from your own family and your own life. And, you know, so there's, there's balance. You have to find that balance for sure. For sure. Well, I tell you what, the, the four of us, Joe, Oral, myself and Mike, we've drank a lot of really good bottles of wine together and no more when no more traveled with us. Do you, you know, given all of this, you know, like you said, like you were with a family in a sense, but you're not with the family, the people that matter most to you, you know, experiencing all of this, you know, evolving as a human being, as a reporter, getting to know what your schedule's like, getting to know how to quote unquote balance it, even though again, it's insanely hard. I personally don't think there's a life balance. Have you found personal like things that you can do to improve that again, life balance in order to spend some time with your family, whether it's again, over Skype, over zoom while you're at the, at the ballpark or, you know, just finding times to meet up with each other throughout the season. So like you can like have that, you know, satisfaction, that sense of clarity when you're in the midst of a 162 game grind. I mean, I think that just comes with age and time and experience when you figure it out. I mean, my, when I first started, like all I did was work and work and work and work and work because you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to move up. You're trying to, you know, do this, that, and the other. You're trying to learn. As I've gotten older and my life has changed and I got engaged, like things are different. Um, you know, I, my family lives in Colorado, so I'd go to Colorado three times a summer with work anyway. So every time we played the Rockies, my mom would come up to Denver and, she'd stay with me. So I got to see her all the time. And I haven't seen my mom in over a year now because we didn't travel and COVID. So now I'm like really trying to, you know, and she's 77 and she's in great health, but you know, Pedro Gomez dropped dead at at 58, you know, like it's, you have to find time to, to do you and do life. And that's kind of uh, where I am now. So you know, during the season, uh, I would travel all over the country and I'd be able to see friends all over the country on, on company dime, which was really nice. But when we stopped traveling, you know, that part of my life stopped too. So that's, you know, again, that was part of the reason that I was like, okay, it's probably time to, to step back. I mean, that's like, we have found a way to, again, like evolve during all of this. Like it's tough. Like your mother, uh, being 77, like my grandmother has been stuck in her home in Florida for like the past 12 months, you know, like she won't leave. She, she's mm-hmm. very crazy about it. Like I can only imagine like, like what if Vince Scully was still calling games and like, what, what, what have his situation been like this year, you know, with the Dodgers, like it's, you know, some people are very, you know, like questionable about everything that's going on. I feel like some people are just going to be like, you know, I guess it kind of all depends where your ego's at in that sense. Just like, you like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go out and do whatever. But then there's other people that are like, this is a very serious thing. And you have to, you know, not necessarily like play by the rules, but like know what your current situation is and know how you're going to be able to adapt to what's going on and what's going to happen in, in the next few months. Because again, for some people, it's like you're literally locked in your homes for a, almost a better part of a year now. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the Dodgers handled everything incredibly well. They, they told us like for, for the postseason, if I didn't want to travel, I didn't have to travel. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Steiner didn't go to one game. He did the entire radio broadcast every single game from his house. Um, and if Vince Scully, God willing, was still with us, Ben would have gotten whatever he wanted to do, ha- do it however he wanted, as he should. So the Dodgers made all the concessions they needed to. They kept us safe. Uh, you know, there was never anybody in my suite that wasn't supposed to be there uh, when we were broadcasting. So the Dodgers took this incredibly seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of you know different schools of thought about um, this. And again, in order to have a season this year, they're going to have to to play by a lot of different rules um, as they should until we can figure this out as a, as a, as a world and, and make it safe and make it make sense again for people to go back to normal and, and fans to be there and, and players to be okay. I mean, major league baseball, I mean, all leagues around the country, I feel like have done an excellent job being able to adapt to everything. And, you know, the last thing I want to leave with, with because I know you got to go soon, but um, you know, looking back at all of it now, you know, you're taking a step back, moving to Massachusetts, getting married, focusing on being, you know, uh, family first oriented in that sense, you know, looking back at everything and looking forward to what you want to do next. Like what is, what are some of the things that you want to do, whether it's, you know, in sports, in baseball or outside of baseball? Yeah, I am. I definitely want to stay in baseball. I mean, I I have to stay in this game. I can't like, I am jonesing right now because I'm not at, spring training. 
Like I'm, this is the first time in 16 years I haven't been in spring training and I do not know what to do with myself. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me. It, it really, it, I struggle. I'm struggling with this. Um, this was not an easy decision, but that being said, I, I want to stay in the game. Um, I, you know, I'm talking to national networks. I, I hope to, to be able to do something um, on, an, on a national level again, uh, like when I was at MLB Network. Um, you know, but it's, it has to be the right fit. It has to make sense. Uh, it has to be something that I can do with my home base being here. Um, and I still very much want to be involved in sports television in, in some capacity. That being said, I'm still going to focus, you know, on my foundation as much as I possibly can. Uh, Southern California is still the priority there. That's where I started it. That's where um, the connections are and most of the need is that I know of right now. Um, and then just have a life when we can get back to traveling. Um, you know, every year we go to Maui, that's our place. We couldn't go. Uh, eventually if we can, someday we'll get married, <laughs> you know, we'd like to do that. Um, but I don't know. And that's, that's the weird thing. I've always been a person since I was 10 years old, I've worked, I've always been a person that's had a plan and I don't have one. So it's an, it's an adjustment. I know that at some point I'll be back on your television screen. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It's a, honestly like, again, everything, not necessarily like where you want it to be. And obviously you got to do the wedding right. You know, you can't do it right now, like during weird times, but you know, it's kind of a cool situation to be in. And it's a good situation to be in, given that you already have the, you know, the reputation, the experience, the connections, like you will definitely be able to find a gig like whenever you want to, again, like not right away, but like looking in like the broad scheme of things, like you're going to be set up pretty nicely with, whatever you want to do. So it's a good situation. Well, like from your lips to God's ears. We'll see. <laughs> I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. He's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.